My friends, I've got to tell you about a company that my wife Emily and I have fallen in love with this year. It's called Simply Earth. If you love essential oils or just want to make sure that the air in your home is toxin-free, then you're going to love this company as much as we do. But I don't want to just tell you about this by myself. I'm bringing in the woman who makes this house a home. Please welcome to the Matthew West Podcast, Mrs. Emily West. Emily, thanks for joining me. Sure. Hey, uh, let's talk about smells. Uh, what would you say I smell like? Do I smell good? You smell great. Really? Mm-hmm. Guess what? Sucker, you got fooled. You got schooled. Simply Earth has made you believe that I smell good. But it's really their essential oils that are making our home smell wonderful. And you'll never discover what my real scent is. Do you know what it is? <laughs> no. It's feet. It's Doritos and feet. It's That's not. what I smell like. A gym locker room. But thanks to Simply Earth, our house smells awesome. It smells like lavender and, and happiness. Yeah. <laughs> Unicorns. <laughs> But more importantly, we know that our kids are breathing in some toxin-free air, which right now, that's super important. More than ever, isn't it? It really is, yeah. So every month we get this box from Simply Earth. You're actually holding one of the boxes, and each box has a different theme, right? What's mm-hmm. the theme of the one you're holding? This one's women's wellness. Women's wellness. That sounds delightful. And we get to put these recipes together. It's super fun. It's like a food subscription box, but you don't want to eat what's in this box, right? It's more fun. We get to put the recipes together. We get to know that our air is going to be toxin-free. This company's amazing. It really is. You know, what I love most about Simply Earth, I'm going to buy essential oils regardless, but what I love about this is they give 13% of their profits back to fight human trafficking. So I figure, you know, that's a little thing I can do, support this company to make the world a better place. Yeah, we're going to buy essential oils somewhere, Mm -hmm. and if we know this company is changing the world and we can take part in that that's a win-win so here's what you guys can do if you want to check this out and subscribe it's 39 bucks a month it's an awesome deal go to simplyearth.com slash west you're going to enter the code west and you're going to get a 20 dollars gift card with your first box when you subscribe today that's simplyearth.com slash west use the code west get your 20 dollars gift card make the air in your home toxin free hide your husband's feet smell and change the world by ending human trafficking. That's incredible. Thanks to Simply Earth for making all that happen. And thank you, Mrs. Emily West. You're welcome. I'm so excited for today's conversation, and I'm excited that you get to listen in to hear this amazingly inspiring individual share her story. In preparation for today's guest, I went back and I watched the movie War Room. Have you seen this movie? If not, I highly recommend it. I watched the movie and once again was inspired to remember that it's so important to be intentional and strategic in my prayer life and that the quality of my prayer life will dictate the quality of the rest of my life. Although she starred in movies like War Room and Overcomer, she's not only an actor, she's a gifted speaker, a gifted author. She's a wife. She's a mother of three. I don't know how she found time to squeeze in this interview, but I'm sure glad that she did. Let's go to the story house with Priscilla Shire. First of all, I just want to say it is an honor to talk to you. This is like maybe the first time that I've gotten to interview somebody that we worked together but never met each other. That's right. We were in a commercial together. But they filmed our parts separately. (laughs) Was that with Sadie Robertson? Yes. For Lifeway, wasn't it? That's right. It was for the Lifeway bookstores. So I feel like I was in a commercial (laughs) with Matthew West. But, you know. (laughs) I put that in my bio that I've worked with Priscilla Shire. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. (laughs) 
So I've never gotten to meet you in person, but you fired me up this morning. I clicked on a YouTube link of you teaching. It was this incredible talk you gave on identity. So I just have to start by saying, like, you've got me super fired up even before we get the chance to talk today. I was so blown away by your talk on identity, and I want to get into that a little bit. You said, only the ones who gave you life have the authority to give you your name. Yeah. And then you said, your history may have marked you, but it is not authorized to label you. Yeah. Oh, it was so powerful. And I write a lot about identity, and that just hit me right where I needed to be hit. So thank you for speaking to me, even before speaking to me. Well, isn't it something that, man, has to be addressed in this day and age that we are sort of, as a culture and as a global community, we're redefining everything that God has already given definitions to. And so until you really just soak in and absorb and live in light of who God says you are, both as a, you know, adopted son or daughter into his family, if you're Christian, but then just in his creation of you that God literally has stamped you with his image. So that means that any system or any individual that seeks to devalue you because of the uniqueness of your creation, man, that person or that system is actually anti-God because his image is on you in your (laughs) uniqueness. So I love that any opportunity to talk about, man, identity and the value of who we are simply because God's hand is on us and his image is stamped on us. We need to hear it now more than ever. Oh, it was so rich. And I'm going to post the link to that specific speech in the show notes of this episode, just because it got me so ready to be able to, <laughs> to speak to you and more importantly, hear you speak. I was thinking about you and I, we have one thing that I know of in common, and that is we are both preacher's kids. Yes. You're a PK. And I just wondered, like, do you know of any sort of support group for preacher's kids where <laughs> where we can bring all of our baggage? Or should we form something like that? Yeah, right. I know at Fellowship Church over here in Grapevine, Texas, they have a whole camp called PK Camp or something like that. And man, I know a lot of <laughs> ministry kids that go there and they have the best time and really talk about hard things and kind of work their way through you know, issues that sometimes happen when you're in the fishbowl of ministry. Oh, that's awesome. But in all seriousness, your father, Dr. Tony Evans, I mean, such an incredibly gifted communicator of the gospel. And so you grew up in church. I'm just curious if there were any similarities to my upbringing as a preacher's kid, but what was your experience like growing up in the church and not a small church either? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, have you felt like you've been in the public eye your whole life? To some extent, yes, because my parents started the church that I still attend to this day, by the way, and my dad still pastors. They started it when I was one. So I've only ever known being a preacher's kid. So, you know, when I was five and six years old and there were 50 people in the church, well, that felt huge to me at the time at five. Wow. So by the time I was 18 and 19 years old, there were five, six, seven thousand people in the church. So our church has continued to grow exponentially in all of these years. So, yeah, we do have a large church in in that sense, I have always kind of felt like I'm in the fishbowl. But one of the ways that my parents sort of combated that was that my mom continually said to me and my dad, they would say to the four of us, you are not the church's kid. You're our kid. Mm. So you don't have to answer to everybody that saddles you with their expectations about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to know and how you're supposed to behave. Your responsibility is to God and your responsibility is to us. So remember that. And I'm, I just remember my mom being so intentional about that, that even I remember one day she pulled a Sunday school teacher aside and basically <laughs> said, stop 
calling on Priscilla to answer every question. She doesn't know. She's right. a kid like every other kid in the class. <laughs> so my mom was for real, for real about yeah. making sure people didn't just saddle us with yeah. unnecessary and undue expectations. And so we really got to have a sense of freedom because they were real guarded about that. I'm grateful. You've got kids of your own and have your kids had to deal with any pressure? I guess they're not preacher's kids, but you do a fair amount of preaching. So I guess they <laughs> technically are PKs, right? Yeah. Well, I guess in a way, and you know, their grandfather is their pastor. So they still have even that yeah. connection at that local church level. So it is what it is. There is a lot of privilege in ministry in the sense that it's a gift that we have been given this opportunity to represent the kingdom of God in this specific way in vocational ministry. And so I want my children to see that as well, that yeah, sometimes it feels like a lot of pressure, but remember that there is a gift that God has given us. He hmm. knew you would be our kids. He knew you would be your grandfather's grandsons. He planned that. So there's a reason why he has you in this place where folks are sort of putting you in a fishbowl. Let's just explore together and ask him to reveal to you why you're there and how you can use that position to influence the kingdom of God, to draw people closer to him, and also to live your best life. You're supposed to enjoy your life, have joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And so for whatever reason, the plan that God has for you to achieve that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and enjoyment, it includes this fishbowl. Right. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater right. and get mad about it. Let's just say, <laughs> Lord, show us what this is about and help us to utilize it and to leverage it for your glory and for our good. Right. It is what it is. So let's ask the Lord what it could be. <laughs> That's right. It I is what that. it is. But did you ever want to like shed that responsibility or that saddling? I mean, I loved in the YouTube video that I was happened to watch this morning, you tell a story of changing your name in high school. Yeah. I was almost going to call you DK, but I loved yep, that story. Yep, yep. <laughs> I wondered if you could just share a brief version of that story and maybe what brought that about. Totally. Well, I transferred from a private school I'd been going to kindergarten through eighth grade. Our freshman year, each of us filtered out of that private school. We went to Duncanville High School, which was a very large, still is a very large high school system here in Duncanville, Texas. And so I decided it would just be a fun experiment to give myself a brand new name because I'm entering into this pool of, uh, you know, to me, in comparison with the 13 students that were in my private school class, now there were 750 kids in just my freshman class. That didn't include sophomores, <laughs> juniors, and seniors. So this is a huge school we're talking about. Culture shock too. Yeah. And I was like, it's kind of cool because I can be whoever I want to be. They don't know me. And there were a lot of kids that did go to my youth group at church. So they knew me in that sense. But by comparison, there were so many other hundreds who had no context for me. And I thought it'd be cool to change my name. So I did. I knew of a girl whose initials were DK. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's cute. I'm going to be DK. So I introduced myself that way as school started my freshman year. And to make a long story short, it caught on. Everybody throughout my entire high school experience, including teachers, principals, counselors, school administrators, administrators, everybody called me DK. Mm -hmm. So it was monogrammed on my high school uniforms, cheerleading and track and letterman's jacket and everything. And my parents didn't say much about it. You know, they knew I was just a, one of those kinds of kids who just did stuff. But as graduation rolled around, my mom said, now look here, 
I'm not playing with you in this DK. When you get this diploma, <laughs> there better not be a D or a K on this sheet of paper because your name is Priscilla yeah. and I'm the only one, me and your dad are the only ones that have the right and the authority to name you. Man. So I'd been walking around for four years with other people calling me something and with me even calling myself that name. But in the end, not even what others or I were calling myself was powerful enough to sort of over return the name that my parents gave me. And so the point there is clear that the one who creates you is the one who has the authority to name you. So no matter what you've been called, you know, how many times you've been called outside your name by others, or even when you look in the mirror, we have a tendency to diminish ourselves when we look in the mirror at our lives and at ourselves and we know our weaknesses and our flaws. So we start labeling our own selves, things that are outside of the context and the truth of who God has called us to be. And I've had to do that, realign myself to who it is that my creator has declared that I am. You weren't running from your Christian upbringing. You grew up in the church, but then now you start running full speed towards really allowing God to build this huge platform for you where you're speaking in much the same way that you saw your dad do all those years. And you're obviously a gifted writer and actor and doing all of these things. But was there ever a time where you were just like, I don't know that I want to pursue that path for my life? Yeah. What was that moment for you when you were like, you know what? I believe that God has a plan for my life and it's probably better than my own. So I'm going to lean into (laughs) his plan versus my own. You know, that actually started in college because I did not have a plan at all to be in ministry. I mean, you couldn't have told me in a million years I would be in any form of ministry, specifically not full-time. What did you want to do? Well, I was going to be in news. So I went to school for broadcast journalism and I planned to graduate and, you know, move to Podunk, Nevada, which is what you do and start at the bottom of the <laughs> broadcast journalism chain yeah. and then work my way up in news media. So wow. that was my goal. And it was while I was in college, I interned at a Christian radio station just for the credit for my college credits. But people started to hear me on the little hour long radio show once a week that they gave me. And I would talk, you know, every two or three songs. I would share something. People would hear my voice. They didn't know who I was, but they'd call the station and say, hey, can that girl maybe come and MC something for us? Or can she come and lead a small women's Bible study? Wow. So as a 19-year-old freshman, I'd show up to those places. Sometimes there'd be 10 women. Sometimes there'd be 500 women sitting there waiting to see what I was going to say. Wow. And I would just do the same thing, whether it was 10 women or 500. I would just share whatever I was studying in my quiet time at the time. Love it. And to make a long story short, the end invitations to do that have just never stopped coming. In the past 20 years, I've just continually been invited to share God's word. A publishing company called when I was at 24 years old and said, hey, would you consider writing that message? And I thought, no, I'm not a writer. Wow. But I just started there. And then Lifeway called when I was about 30 and said, we would love to do video-driven Bible studies. And I remember thinking, I can't do that. That's what Beth Moore does, right? (laughs) But then just sort of walking that road. And then when the Kendrick brothers were writing War Room, they called to see if I would play that role. And I said, no, I'm not an actress. You do know that, right? So all along, it has been 
in a surrendering to this invitation to either go with God in the direction he's clearly paving for me or scratch and claw and force my way in a different direction that is my ambition, but ends up actually being a far lesser wow. ambition than the adventure of faith and ministry that God has carved out for me. That's incredible. The fact that you started getting these calls, it wasn't even, you know, so many people are chasing their ambition. And when the doors close in front of them, they're banging that door down totally. relentlessly until they get what they think they want. And then it's not what they thought it would be. And I love that. So you went to get your master's after these opportunities started coming? No. So after University of Houston, where I got my undergraduate in communications, when I graduated, that's when I began to feel that little pull away from my initial desire toward broadcast journalism, because I'd been working, remember, in radio as an intern throughout college, Christian radio. And now I had these invitations sprinkled throughout the year, maybe, you know, three or four or five times a year to come and do these little Bible studies and, you know, little towns somewhere. And I loved it. There was a fulfillment that I had in sharing God's word. And I don't know if you know this either, but I would sing growing up in church. And you know my brother, Anthony. I know oh, that you and goodness. Anthony know each other. I texted him before I got on with you. I said, <laughs> Anthony, I don't even know if this is still your number because we used to be sort of neighbors and we hadn't yeah. been in touch in a while. I said, I'm about to actually get to interview with your sister. So he texted me back. He says yeah. hello, by the way, in case you had Oh, yeah, that's funny. We talk like every day, all day. That's hysterical. <laughs> but, you know, with me and Anthony and my sister, we would also sing. Actually, the legendary group Truth asked me to come on board with them. No I auditioned way. for, yeah. And they said, come with us. We want you to come sing with us. And so I was at this crossroads and I was praying about what am I supposed to do next? And I remember seeking wise counsel from many people, but one of them was my dad. And he said to me something that really has been the guiding force for everything that I have done in the 25 years since. He said to me, Priscilla, which of these would you do? if you were not getting paid to do it. Come on. Yeah. And I knew the answer to that question. It wasn't broadcast journalism. I loved it, but not enough to not get paid for it. Right. <laughs> it wasn't radio, but the fulfillment that I had from just sharing God's word was something that I knew I would do, whether it was full-time or not. That's awesome. And so that's what made the decision for me to immediately, I knew I wanted to go to grad school somewhere. So I decided to go get a degree in biblical studies from Dallas Seminary. And it was during that time that the Lord really began to redirect my heart toward what would be why he made me, which is, in my case, full-time ministry. But I say that kind of loosely because... I think that all of us are in ministry, <laughs> right. whether you are sitting around with your kids at dinner and you made dinner and you as the mom or dad are sharing God's word with them. We cannot let anybody diminish the fact that that right there, that's ministry in its purest form. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to be on podcasts or have microphones right. in our hands or spotlights right. on us or have Instagram lives to be in ministry. We've all been given a sphere of influence. And as Christians, we are called to be salt and light right there. That's ministry. And sometimes it's going to come from a different direction than the ambition that we find ourselves leaning into. Yeah. And that's such yeah. a great lesson for me to even hear. You know, And I think a lot of times, too, when you do have a microphone in front of you a lot, like you and I and Anthony, your brother, sometimes I know a big struggle for me is like I get off the stage and I feel like 
okay, like my ministry's done. Yeah. Almost like you're punching the clock, like you're done filming your devotion, your devotional book is done, or whatever those like yes. moments of service, those moments of ministry. But what about the rest of the moments that make up that hour, that 20? And I feel like convicted a lot of times where the Lord's saying, all right, you're off stage now. You think I'm done using you? Like I've got, yeah. I still want you to live a compassionate life. I still want you to have your <laughs> eyes open to who I'm going to use you to witness to. When your life is like ministering to thousands, sometimes you can lose sight of that opportunity to minister to one. Oh, that's so good. Yep. Yeah. It's just such an interesting part of, I think that makes maybe our journeys unique. But what I didn't realize is that you can sing. You're telling me- <laughs> I could. Can you sing Anthony sing or like, cause your brother. <laughs> he can sing, right? There's some people when they sing, it's just effortless. Like when I sing, yes. it's more like I'm going to work. <laughs> like when I sing, I'm working. But when I hear Anthony sing, I'm like, okay, first of all, I quit. Right. Second of all, how can it be so effortless? Do you have those kind of skills, Priscilla? Okay. Let me put it this way. <laughs> I used to be able to sing like that. But oh. what I've discovered is that your vocal cords are muscles. So if you don't exercise and use those muscles, you do lose it. So I can still sing, but not like Anthony. I mean, I could never do a two-hour concert at this point because right. I don't have the capacity <laughs> sure. to do that like you all do that are using those muscles all the time. You're totally right. It's a different muscle for sure. It is. It totally is. But anyway, I did love, our mom was very musical. And so of the four of us, three of us really could sing and could have gone into that's crazy. Yeah, full-time music if the Lord had directed that way. So Here's a crazy thought. I got a call from Truth to join the group Truth as well yeah, and opted not to join that group. But I mean, <gasps> think about like in a different world, if me and Priscilla would have been in Truth at the same time. And like, <laughs> I mean, that's just so bizarre to think about. Isn't it? Maybe all the uh, success stories that came out of people saying no to Truth, but that's another episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And all the success stories that came out of the people that did. Exactly. You that's know? exactly It's amazing right. how the Lord just has different paths for different people. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. It's such a good point. You've mentioned your mom, Lois, a couple of times has had an incredible impact on your life, I would imagine. And just even when my family and I, who we follow you on social media and, you know, we've seen the impact that both of your parents have had. My mom and my dad just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary oh, uh, last best. week. And I know this year would have been 50 years for your mom and dad. Is that correct? Mm hmm. That's exactly right. It was June. This past June, we kind of gathered around my dad and had a 50th wedding anniversary celebration with my dad because, yes, my mom passed away on December 30th. Can you talk just a little bit about how much she has meant to you in your life and, you know, part of the legacy that she's left you? Oh, man, there is no way that my father would have been able to accomplish what he has in ministry. And, you know, everybody kind of knows my dad's name, but it's because there was a Lois Evans who was holding down the fort and who was making what he was doing look effortless in terms of the expansion and the breadth of the reach of their ministry, the development of the church. And then, of course, so many of her own specific goals and personal aspirations that she laid aside because she wanted to be with the four of us. 
yeah. while we were little and she was raising us. And so she didn't even finish up her own college degree until 91. I was a junior in high school when she finished it because she wanted to use those formative years of our lives not to be man. pursuing all these outside things. She just wanted to, to devote that time to us. And so, man, her fingerprints are everywhere. The local church here, my dad's national ministry, all of the outworking of what any of the four of us are doing in our own ministries mm. as well. Man, it's the fingerprints of my mom. And as you talk about ministry, not necessarily just being when we're standing on a platform, I saw that so clearly Through when her. my mom was, you know, particularly in her last several months of life, as it was clear that she was deteriorating. Mm. There was a peace and a joy mm. and a bubbling up of the deep well of relationship she had with Jesus that she'd cultivated over all those years. Wow. When you see all of that bubble up, when you know you are at the end, when you are facing the biggest, most people's biggest fear is death. And if you can face that and still have a smirk on your face, still have a peace in your heart, still have encouragement that's spilling out of your lips towards your children and your spouse and your your sisters and your family and your grandchildren are surrounding you and seeing that legacy, that lets you know when a ministry was real or whether it was a show. Man. And so that was the last gift my mother gave to me is showing me how to die well. <sighs> I'm just going to let that sit for just a second because that's mm-hmm. unbelievable. You talk about your mom. What an unbelievable legacy. In the ways that you're raising your kids, do you ever think about how rare it is to have parents where you would want to repeat more than you would choose to discard? <laughs> that's awesome. I love how you put that. I think about that a lot in my own life, and I wasn't always aware of it, but I feel like you and I are probably on the same page in that we've been given a tremendous gift in the parents that we've had. Absolutely. I do agree with that. And you know, it's not until we're older and maybe we have children of our own that we start to recognize the sacrifice that it was for our parents to keep showing up every day and to keep sticking with the little small daily decisions that had to be made in order for them to leave the legacy that they wanted to leave. It looked so effortless in the moment, but then you look back and realize, okay, if my mom wanted us to eat a home-cooked meal regularly and she wanted us to literally as a family sit at the table regularly so we could maximize that family time together. Now with these three sons of my own, I realize that didn't just happen. Mm. That was a choice that they made to carve out the time to cook the food, you know, dad to do a little devotional for us while all four of us were, you know, doing what kids do under the table and jumping on the table and all the stuff. It wasn't easy. They were just committed. And so it inspires me to not try to be perfect and to be saddled with perfectionism in my parenting, but just to be consistent, just pick the two or three things that are going to be the things I do and then do them (laughs) every day. Just keep showing up. Can you share like what one of the two or three? Yeah. That would be a question my wife would immediately ask you. (laughs) Well, I cannot overemphasize the value and the impact of sitting down at an actual table to have a meal. Mm. So one of my things is dinner. We are going to have dinner together. And it's not going to happen every day because somebody's got football, somebody's got basketball, somebody's got, you know, whatever. Especially the older and older they get, it gets more and more difficult. But I'm going to cook an actual meal. You boys are going to help me cook this meal. And they don't know this, but when I make them 
them come in the kitchen with me, <laughs> that's because that's added family time. Yeah. That means they have to be with There's me in the method, kitchen. There's a method, yeah. That's right. Was this before coronavirus even that you were doing this? Because oh, a lot yeah. of families are, are just now discovering that, oh, you can sit down and eat a meal together. 2020 has <laughs> right. been the year of that. Yeah, it's kind of been my thing. I'm like, we doing it. If I it love happens it. two times this week or five times this week or only once this next week, it's going to be in the regular rhythms of our life. And you're going to participate in helping me with it. One of the reasons why you're going to help me make it is because one day you're going to have a wife and she's going to be blessed. <laughs> she's going to be blessed that you know how to cook. That is so, so anyway, good. we sit down at that table and I even have a little box of conversation starters that I bought on Amazon because I've got teenage boys. They don't want to talk. They don't want to be at the table. They're grunting more than they're actually (laughs) responding to any questions. Sure, It seems so artificial, but man, we'll pull those conversation starters out and it will get us going at least for a few minutes. It's like pulling teeth most of the time. And I'm frustrated a lot of times because I wish everybody wanted to be there more. But what I do know is that my grown sons are going to look back and appreciate these moments. No doubt. It's a lady named Donna who's older and wiser than me. When my children were young, she said to me, Priscilla, always remember that you get the joy and the privilege of crafting the memories that you want your adult children to have later in their life. Man. So whatever memories you want them to have, go do that. That's so good. And do it consistently. That's so good. So that's all I've done. And dinner is one of those things. Another one of them is verbal affirmation. So I will say to my boys, and I've done this since they were little, I'll say, you are a man of integrity, character, and honesty. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Come on. You will put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You are the head. You are not the tail. You are above. You are not beneath. You are a leader. You are not not a follower. You will have the praises of God in your mouth continually, and you will be a blessing to your teachers today, and you will be a blessing to your friends. So I've said that to them for so long now that they'll just start repeating it back to me, mostly to just get me to hurry up. But the fact that they can repeat some of it back to me, it lets me know they've absorbed some of it. And I want those affirmations to be, you know, just a part of the regular reel they're running through their mind on a regular basis about who they are. Is that something that you wrote? Or is that just something that developed? I mean, I know there's scripture in there, but where'd that come from? You know what? Yes. It was just something that over time, I just started saying little bits of it, and then I'd add on another bit. <sighs> and I've got it written up with little nuances changed for each one of them and have it posted right by the garage door, just little, you know, typewritten and posted by the garage door so that even as they're going out to the garage, they can read their own. That's more kind of specific to where I see their weaknesses, their strengths, and how God God might be directing them. That's awesome. So I just want them to run into affirmations that are scripturally based. I love that. Two things I'm thinking of. One, I want to call you every morning and have you say that to me. Uh, (laughs) Two, I want to write, and maybe somebody listening to this can take the same idea, somebody who's a parent and like, I want to go write something like that down. I mean, I've spoken words of affirmation over my two daughters like daily, but never with like a repetition or consistency like you just described. And that is so awesome. So I'm going to listen back to this interview and probably copy a lot of what you said. Totally. But that is so powerful. I want to say this too, because I think another thing that it's important to emphasize so that folks don't feel discouraged is in knowing that even if things like this, like having dinner together or even spending family time together and everybody not being on their own televisions and devices, even if that is not a part of the legacy that you've experienced, maybe you came from horrible dysfunction or whatever, you have the privilege to start whatever you 
you want to start yeah. with your family legacy. It's, it can be you. For my family, it was my grandfathers on each side. They broke horrible chains of adultery, of drunkenness, of just not being a functional family unit. Right. They decided their families would be different. Yes. And they made the changes to break away from what our legacy could have continued to be had they not been brave enough to do it. So somebody's got to be the chain breaker. It might as well be you. Somebody. That's exactly right. And there's a song I sing called Family Tree. And it says, are you going to be like your father was and his father was? Do you have to carry what they've handed down? And the answer, the chorus says, no, this is not your legacy. This is not mm. your destiny. Right. Love can break the chains. It's that idea of being the one who breaks those chains of dysfunction or who brings new life to your family tree. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a good word that you just shared. I'm so inspired by that. Twenty twenty's been a year like no other. I'm guessing you travel quite a bit in a normal year, right? I do. Yep. A tailored amount probably compared to you. <laughs> so do you have guidelines as far as how many speaking? Because oh, yeah. you're probably getting tons of calls every year in a normal year. So I was wondering if 2020 has been a year where you've felt like more rested or how 2020 has changed your ministry. Yeah. Well, it was about probably 16 years ago now that I looked at my small two children at the time and realized I did not want to miss their childhood because I was gone traveling all yeah. the time. So we made decisions right then and there to govern how we would spend the next 20 years basically raising our children. One of those was that I pared way down from teaching and preaching and speaking out probably 40 times a year down to 12 to 15. Wow. That has been our guide for the last 16, 17 years. And, you know, sometimes it ends up being a couple more, a couple less. But we just look at these hundreds of invitations and say, Lord, what can we do this year to bring you the most glory, to influence people in the best way that we possibly can and yet not be separated from our children? And then I also decided years ago, my children are in school now, but we homeschooled our children for five years so that they could come with us and do ministry with us. Yeah, we did the same thing. Yeah, for man. four years. Yeah, I was like, what a great gift for them to see the body of Christ, different cultures and backgrounds and races and different languages, singing the same worship songs they know from our home church, but it's in a different language. What an opportunity for them to serve the breadth of the body of Christ. Why would we leave them at home? Let's take them with us. So we did a lot of things like that to begin to massage what ministry should look like in our family and honor the priorities of family. And this year, obviously, with everything being canceled, I've been... I don't want to say thrilled because I hate that everything has been canceled in the sense that I love ministry. Right, right. But I've been thrilled in the sense that because not only was our travel schedule canceled, but our children's sports schedules, which are always at crosshairs with one another, right. you know, everybody's here. The beauty of everybody being here at the same time and not having to fight for everybody's attention and time and all of that, there was something incredibly refreshing and restorative about that. So we've taken full advantage of it. I'm not in a rush to run back out onto the road at all. That will come when it needs to come. But for now, I'm just enjoying the recalibration that this has given for me and Jerry. Because, you know, listen, now our kids are old enough that we can roll up out 
out and say we're going to lunch or going to dinner right. and leave those jokers <laughs> right here at home. So the fact that we can do that yeah. without the pressure of having to get on an airplane tomorrow and having to pack and unpack a bag, there is a beauty in that that I don't want to miss just because we're anxious to get back to quote unquote normal. I think our normals should all be revisited as a result of this oh. mandated Sabbath that God has given us. Oh, that is well said. And that's exactly what's taking place in my life and my family. You mentioned my traveling schedule is quite extensive throughout the year. And it's like, I don't know that things need to go back to whatever normal was in 2019. Revisiting is such a key word that you just said. You posted a picture recently on your Instagram of what looked like to some who aren't writers, but I looked at it and I understood what it was, but it kind of looked like a little bit of a messy, chaotic situation of <laughs> journals and yeah. notes and laptops and stuff. And I identified with that post right away. I saw that picture and I'm like, okay, that's what it looks like when I'm writing a book or working on a record <laughs> yes. and you're working on something new right now, or have you completed it? Just actually completed. I've got the proof pages spread across my desk oh. now to get edits back in. And you know how that is. Can you talk about what it is? Yeah. Uh, just finished writing Elijah. So it's this next Bible study. It's a seven week Bible study. And of course, in there, you've got all the video sessions that lead into each week. So seven weeks of teaching on video and then seven weeks of daily Bible study on the life and ministry of Elijah. And, you know, I thought about doing this. I couldn't even believe it. It's seven years ago now that I first began teaching on bits and pieces of Elijah. And I can see now why the Lord allowed what really amounted to a lot of delays because of the hard stuff we've faced in our family in the past two years. Yeah. And then other projects just taking priority for different reasons. But right now is the time that we need to rise up in the spirit of Elijah. I mean, he was the lone voice that was bold enough, unapologetic enough, that refused to be politically correct. And he stood there and said, make a decision. Who are you going to serve? You cannot put God on the same playing field with any of your other gods. Mm. You've got to choose who you're going to serve. And he was willing to be bold and fearless and unapologetic. He was not perfect, but he was clear. Hmm. And if ever before we needed to rise up in the spirit of Elijah, it's today. And you say that because do you feel like it takes more courage to be a Christian in today's world? I mean, is that what you're getting at? Absolutely. <laughs> like, we don't really know what oppression is to stand up for what our beliefs are. Yeah, yeah. We really don't have a grip on that yet, but do you feel like that's coming? Oh, absolutely. We're starting to see hints of it even now. But yeah, it's going to come more and more because 30, 40, 50 years ago, even people that were not Christians, we all sort of subscribe to the same sort of moral compass that even if people didn't believe the Bible was the inerrant word of God, they still believe that it provided a moral foundation for the structure of society. Right. But that's changing now. We live in a post-Christian culture. That means if you believe in the truth of the scripture and the guidelines that it sets for morality— it means you are odd. People think you're intolerant. They think that you are ancient right. and not relevant to current times. So it's going to take more and more bravery, not only for us, Matthew, but for our kids. Yes, It's them. It's the ones that are coming up in the next 10, 20, 30 years. They're going to have to be so convinced 
and so capable and able to give an informed defense for their faith and not just believe it because their parents drug them to church, but they're going to actually have to know what they believe and then have their own fiery, fervent relationship with Jesus that supersedes just my mom or my dad were in ministry. It's got to be something that they have come to believe as their own and they've walked with Jesus long enough to have their own testimony so that they can stand strong in the face of ardent adversity. Well, this Elijah study is going to be for such a time as this. There's no doubt about it. I pray so. It's cool, too, because my dad always encourages me in approaching my Bible study to like do character studies. Mm, I love that. And so I love this kind of focused dive into his life and how that applies to the world that we're living in right now. When does that release? That one will come out in January. Okay. And it's been a minute since I've written one. I was taking a little bit of a breather. So it's been a while and I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're such a gifted writer and communicator. I feel like what you just described in a way, I'm thinking about the movie, The War Room. You talk about the importance of knowing what you believe and giving a defense for your faith and digging in on a spiritual level. And obviously that word war, the message of that movie and the takeaway from that movie, obviously just incredible. But can you just share like maybe one spiritual discipline kind of in line with that movie that you practice in your daily life? I've talked to my dad who's been a pastor for over 40 years. I said, dad, does it ever get easier (laughs) to be open in my Bible every day? Like, why does that still, why is that still a Mm -hmm. challenge? And I'll get discouraged as a Christian, especially somebody who people are looking up to. And I'll go, why am I still so quick to get too busy to spend time with the Lord? Mm -hmm. And so I'm always asking people who I look up to, even from a distance like yourself, okay, what are some of the spiritual disciplines that you've applied that are working for you and that the Lord's using to help keep you strong so that you can give defense for your faith when life hits you? Yeah, I'll tell you, man, one of the main ones that actually the movie gave to me which I don't know if you can believe this or not, but we filmed that now almost seven years ago, which I cannot believe. But when we were filming it, I remember, you know, saying the lines I had to say, doing the scenes, of course, even if you get it right the second time, they still got to record it 10 times, yeah, 10 different yeah. angles, you know, it's <laughs> over and over again. And so I'm saying these lines over and over and doing these scenes over and over. And the main thing that materialized for me is this idea of strategy in prayer and intentionality. So I'd always believed in prayer itself, but in terms of being strategic about what I'm praying right. and applying God's promises, see, that takes forethought. That means that you've looked into the Bible to see what promises actually apply to the things I'm praying about so that I can weave those promises into what I'm literally audibly saying when I pray so Mm. that I can write them down and refer back to these promises as I continue to pray for that kid or for that issue in my marriage or my finances or health. So that means I've thought about it beforehand. I'm not just sort of throwing a prayer up against the wall and hoping it sticks. Mm. I'm thoughtful about what I'm praying and I want the enemy to hear me calling out God's promises as I'm praying. So I became more strategic in prayer and more intentional about writing down the prayer requests that I'm praying. And the reason reason why is because, and this is what I wanted to get to, one of the spiritual disciplines that has impacted me the most and encouraged me the most, Matthew, is writing down my prayers and the things that God is doing in my life. Mm. Because when I go back and look, there is a track record of God's faithfulness that I would mm. not have had I not written it down. Yeah, Because you don't remember what you prayed seven no. years ago. No. But when you are living in answers 
You are so blinded by God's blessing and goodness that unless you go back to that moment where you felt deficient and where you felt like you had to ask the question to begin with, you stop recognizing. I stop recognizing the ongoing faithfulness of God in our lives to not only hear our prayers, but to respond to them in his timing. So that's been one of the things that's encouraged me the most is writing down my interactions with God. I tell you, whoever's listening to this right now needs to rewind to what you just said and listen to that about five more times because that right there, when we walk in those promises and the remembrance of God's faithfulness, we also walk in gratitude. Totally. And we can thank God in advance for what he's going to do. And what I love is there's a common theme in what you've even talked about, and it's about intentionality. And Mm -hmm. when I watch you speak on YouTube, when I hear you, and even in your movies and in your books, there is nothing lazy or lackadaisical about it. Like, especially your speaking, like it fires me up so much. It's like, I want to worship Jesus and run a marathon after hearing your talk about identity, but it's everything intentional. Speaking of prayer, what is your prayer for our country right now Mm. with what we're seeing and the season we're heading into, Priscilla? Yeah. Well, obviously the main overarching thing, and it's got many layers under it, but the overarching thing is for revival, that God would use all of the division and disturbance and unrest that we are seeing, not only politically, but racially, and then, of course, with the pandemic, so medically, that there would be some way that out of this, he would bring himself so much glory and lift himself high so clearly that people who are adverse to him, to a relationship with him, who are running from him, who have tried to ignore him, can no longer do that because the hound of heaven will not let them go. Mm. That's my prayer. And it's going to take the people of God rising up, acknowledging where we have failed, repenting of sins of the church, the global church, capital C church. I'm not talking about one denomination or one group of people, but those of us that need to recognize the sins of and the failures of the church. And then we've got to rise back up, walk in the full expression of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then God will use the church, which was always his intention to lift him up so high that all people will be drawn to him. Man, I'm going to join you in that prayer. Would you say one of the failures of the church is silence when it comes to areas of racial division and racial tension? Oh, absolutely. Obviously, like watching the news again and seeing what just took place in Wisconsin. And, you know, obviously there's lots of investigation that has to happen, but a shooting takes place. He's in serious Mm -hmm. condition. He's going to be paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And now a city's on fire. You know, I grew up in Chicago and I Mm. watched the streets of Chicago and what's taking place and murders on the rise and racial tension. I want to hear your perspective on what Christians can do and what Christians who've been quiet or maybe, I guess I'm talking about myself, of just like, how do I... One of my favorite new people that I'm going to get the chance to interview in a couple of weeks is Emmanuel Acho. You know, he's a very close friend of ours, right? We, is we, he? we grew up together. Yeah, we grew up together in church. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Of all the things, because it's a loud world right now, Priscilla. Yes. But these videos that Emmanuel's been posting called Uncomfortable Aren't they Com- great? Oh my goodness. He did one where he had a, a blended family 
sharing and the kids are on the couch talking about their unique experience. Like I'm sitting there crying and I'm just like, God, forgive me for my apathy is just what I kept saying and kept thinking. Mm -hmm. And forgive me if I turn a blind eye or the ways that I don't even understand that I'm not understanding. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a great prayer. (laughs) So anyways, I get chills thinking about that. I didn't realize you guys knew each other well, but he's really just inspired me. And I just shared with him on Instagram, just like, man, these are incredible. But likewise, your voice, you just speak truth in such a powerful and gifted way. And I just don't want to end this interview without you speaking truth to how Christians can lead the way in not being silent and standing up against the racial tension that exists. And I know that's a big question, so (laughs) we don't have all the time for all of that, but what's on your heart in Forgive me for not even knowing how to ask the question. Oh, Maybe no, that's no, why I, I like it. Emmanuel's videos so much is because it <laughs> starts right. with the title, Uncomfortable Conversation. But I know. And honestly, I appreciate the title of his show as well, because the bottom line is that all of us have to become comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. The only way this gets resolved is if everybody gets comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. so that we can be honest and have open conversations about this. But the reality is sometimes we tend to become so defensive that we don't have ears to hear, to just listen, to empathize with the person that is in the other pair of shoes. So instead of stepping in their shoes, we stay in ours. And because it's not our problem, we say it's not a problem at all and that the other person is making stuff up. And the same way that wouldn't work in a marriage or a friendship is the same way that will never work within the church either. If one part of the body is hurting, The other part of the body has to recognize that hurt and has to use its energy and efforts to sort of make sure that the wound in that part of the body is tended. And so, yes, we have seen a silence and have deeply felt as a black woman in the church. I can say that it's been a deeply felt wound that a lot of our white counterparts, our brothers and sisters have been apathetic or it appears that there is an apathy because of the silence. Because of the silence. So the the same loud voices that will celebrate some other things vocally and verbally and very overtly, maybe on social media or otherwise, or will speak negatively and condemn those other areas of unrighteousness are really quiet. We can hear crickets chirping on this issue from our white brothers and sisters. And so that silence makes the wound even deeper for the black church. So your words matter. Man, the language so much is lost in translation because the vocabulary, the vernacular (laughs) is so messy to talk around and to make sure that we're not misunderstanding each other. So of course you run a risk by saying something, but the risk that you run in saying something, the cost of that is not as large as the impact that will be made simply by the effort invested to go ahead and empathize, to listen, to empathize, to show support as this part of the body wrestles with what is not made up in our minds. It is a very real issue that actually is at the foundation and the birth of the American church is all bound up in what was slavery and racism at the time. It's all bound up in that. And so it has to be acknowledged, and then there has to be a empathy, and then a willingness to learn and to walk with us towards a change in this area so that the church is more healthy in this area moving forward. So you'd rather see a believer, a Christian, fumbling their way towards 
something other than silence. Totally. You'd rather see a stuttering Moses speaking up, even if, because I think that's the challenge too, is there's a lot of times where I could just sense that people feel like there's landmines all around and they're going to say the wrong thing or they're going to be well-intended and say something, you know, and you even see like Christian leaders right now, like sitting down and everybody's trying to have these conversations and then they'll say something the wrong way. Totally. The Bible talks about despising our own words and it's like, it's like, how can we stop trying to be clever and just speak? But see, Matthew, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am a black woman and I have said something that has been totally misunderstood, misconstrued in the media. Folks have used it against me over and over again. And it has been so hard for my heart because, of course, I knew what I meant, but I didn't say it clearly. So here I am. I'm black. And that was used against me. So the point is, we are all stumbling our way forward. We all are. And so the point is, we have to give each other grace and margin to do that. But at the same time, I want to be clear that when I say that we have to be vocal, what I mean is not necessarily to host a symposium and to be vocal necessarily on social media and to say that you're going to have a webinar about it. It means that in the sphere of influence God has given you, which honestly, the most important sphere of influence is right around your dinner table. That if my white brothers and sisters and my friends, and I talk about this a lot, the women in my life who are white women raising their children, we talk about this a lot. I tell them when they ask me, that one of the most impactful things you can do right now is make sure that your children know what I don't have the option to not tell my children. Mm. So when they say to me, well, my seven-year-old's a little young and I didn't want her to see this image and it might be too much for her to handle and racism is a big topic, I say to them very clearly, do you understand that the fact that you get to negotiate when to tell your child is in and of itself a privilege? That is, that's unbelievable. Because my seven-year-old, I don't have that I had to tell them right away because of some of the ways they were overtly or covertly experiencing a bit of bias in some of their friendships, even at that young age. As their parent, I had to walk them through that and explain it to them. So I need you, since your kid is my kid's friend, I need you to make sure that your child is aware of what my child is facing because they're in relationship with each other. That's great. So sometimes the most impactful thing we can do is in our small spheres of influence, instead of trying to be public and big and talk to all our followers about it, why don't we just... Sit still, listen, and hear those who are gifted and educated to speak on a larger scale, but use our influence in the smaller platforms, but the important spheres of influence that God has entrusted to us. That's just awesome words. And those are rich words. And those are words that I'm listening to and I'm hearing you. And I hope everybody listening to this right now takes what you just said to heart. I mean, that is just well said and so appreciated for you to share honestly like you have. And and I'm just so honored that you would join me for this. I've launched this podcast and I believed that this was a way that God wanted to not just use my voice, but to turn the microphone around and continue to give a voice to others. I know you've got a huge platform and I'm thankful that you would lend your voice and your wisdom and all that the Lord is showing you to this show and to everybody who's listening. And we're going to post all of the links to your 
Going Beyond is your ministry at goingbeyond.com. Yes. And mm-hmm. I'm going to encourage the listeners to go and find your books and hear what you have to say. And a challenge to all the listeners not to be silent and to not ignore the opportunity you have right at your own dinner table. I think that is just an incredible word and one that I'm going to put to practice starting tonight. So now the challenge, the one thing I won't be able to accomplish, or at least I don't know how, is how you got your kids to actually help you cook in the kitchen. Well, they don't have an option at my house. We're telling them what they're doing over here. That's what's happening. Okay. Another conversation. I'll get some more tips on how my wife and I can get our kids to not roll their eyes when we ask them to help with the dishes. Oh, no, no. I didn't say they don't roll their eyes. Oh, okay. All right. You know what? I didn't even get to talk to you about your movies at all, but are you doing any movies anytime soon? Not that I know of. So I'm just sitting tight and it's one of those things that I have not pursued at all. You're so good though. But when there has been a project that is glorifying Jesus and that has crossed my path, I've been so grateful that the Lord has let me be a part of man, what has really been a resurgence of what faith-based films are, really, in the past 10 years. So it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, you're a huge part of that new season. Priscilla, I'm just blown away and so grateful that you would join me today. I have loved every minute of it. I appreciate you. All right. Now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is Truth I'm Standing On by Leanna Crawford. This is the truth I'm And to talk about this song, I have brought Leanna Crawford herself to the Story House, back to the place where we wrote the song. Leanna, how you doing today? I'm doing so good. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Matthew S. Podcast. This is so cool. I can't believe I'm here. Are you a huge fan of the show already? Huge fan. I have to say, though, my favorite part is probably the first 30 seconds, the intro, every time. The theme song? Yeah. Stuck in my head. There you go. Yeah. Well, this song's been stuck in my head. (laughs) Truth I'm Standing On by you. This is your first radio single and an important song for right now. It's a song that we wrote together here at the Story House with our good buddy, AJ Pruse. Why don't you talk about what this song means to you and why you wanted to record it? Yeah, so came into the studio that day, came into the story house where That's all the right. magic happens. Such a such a great place. But you actually shared with me a story that you had heard, a woman named Joyce from Florida. And hearing Joyce's story, it was so incredibly encouraging to mm-hmm. me. And just that she had walked with her husband through his battle with cancer. And during that season, she posted a Bible verse on her social media. And every time she would post on Instagram, she would use the hashtag truth to stand on. And I was just like blown away, first of all, that she was using that season to encourage others during probably the darkest season of her life, but yet she knew exactly where her strength and hope came from. And Joyce's story actually encouraged my story that day so much because I was dealing with anxiety and I didn't know how to deal with that. Like a lot of us deal with it and I just hadn't, I didn't really know, but her story ended up really helping me work through that. And so as we wrote the verses and especially like the first verse, scared, I thought I knew scared, but honestly, I'm so like, that was what I was feeling. But nothing like this before. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of that first verse. Scared. Oh, I thought I knew scared. But I'm so filled with fear I can barely move 
wife actually told me the story of Joyce and she said you got to follow this lady she's posting these scriptures and sharing about her husband's journey and she would use that hashtag that you said hashtag truth to stand on she said you need to write a song like that so we got to thank Mrs. Emily West for telling us about that and of course Joyce's good friends are Carmen who is the morning cruise at a station called the Joy FM in Florida and so there's a lot of connectivity here her husband went to be with the Lord and she continues to post that hashtag truth to stand on so in times of triumph and in times of tragedy and all the spaces in between we know that we have a firm foundation so where were you the first time you heard it on the radio i was at chick-fil-a serious <laughs> yes in the drive-thru was it playing in chick-fil-a or in your car no in my car i turned on the radio and a, a casting crown song came on and then this song right after the piano started playing and i was like oh my gosh this song. is truth i'm standing on and you're in the chick-fil-a drive-thru yeah. listening to your own song on the yeah. radio which station played it let's give them a shout out way fm way fm in nashville in nashville rocking this song truth i'm standing on so thank <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Story House. Thank you so much for having me. He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this final segment of the show is called Dad Vice. He is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, I appreciate you joining me to close out the show today. I just finished an awesome interview with Priscilla Shire and that interview closed on some pretty important words that she shared regarding the times that we're living in right now. So I wonder if you have a word for us today that can kind of continue along that same theme of how we as Christians should be carrying out our actions, how we should be living during the tumultuous times we're in right now. Yes, I'd love to share from Paul's perspective. In Ephesians chapter 5, he gives us some great challenges here. He says, follow God's example in everything you do, just as much as a loving child imitates his father. Another version says, be imitators of God. Verse 2, be full of love for others, following the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And then he goes to verse 15 and 16. He says, so be careful how you act in these difficult days. Don't be fools. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have 
we're doing good. And I think we'd all agree we're in difficult days. And from COVID at the beginning of the year, that would just be enough for all of us right now. But here we find ourselves facing so many other things. And in the middle of it all is the political and racial unrest. And it just breaks your heart of what's taking place in our world. And we look at that and we say, as a Christ follower, what does God want from me? How can I help in this area to relieve that tension? And again, it comes back to being imitators of God. And what Paul said in Ephesians 5, that we are to follow God's example and to be imitators of God's behavior. The word imitate means to copy the action, speech, appearance, or mannerisms of another, to appear to resemble someone. I'm going to share three ways that we can imitate God to our world in this time of racial tension, I do want to bring up a book that made a profound impact on my life when I was a young Bible college student. And you might remember it, Matthew, back in the 1990s, there was a revival of the letters WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? You remember that? I had the bracelets and everything. Yes, it was incredible. And I kind of got a kick out of it because people thought that was a new thing. And it goes way back in 1896, the author Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps, and he challenged his congregation that in everything they would say and do, they were to ask first, what would Jesus do? And they challenged him to follow in Jesus' steps. And he read from 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And he challenged them, and it came back a hundred years later. And by the way, there were 30 million copies of this book sold. It made such an impact. Then it came back a hundred years later in in the 1990s. And I think now is a, a time to bring that back again. Again, during the day right now that we're living in. But quickly, three ways that we can imitate God in this world filled with so much racial tension and so much heartache. One, look at others. We look on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Do not look at the appearance or one's physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. These are great scriptures. Samuel the prophet was called to find a king for Israel, and he went to the sons of Jesse, and he interviewed seven of them. They all looked good on the outward, but God kept saying no. And then look Little David comes up, and David didn't have all the trappings on the outside that looked good, and yet God said, look on the heart, and what a challenge that is for all of us. I have a tendency to judge people on the way they look, the way they act, what they say, what they do, without giving them a chance to even show themselves who they really are, and I say, God, forgive me. Help me to look at a person's heart, not the way they look on the outward. That's good. And then the challenge is to love others. So look at others, look on the heart, love others. And Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. This is called sacrificial love. Anybody can say they love someone, but it's when you sacrifice and show sacrificial love. And Jesus showed sacrificial love when he died on the cross. And can we show that kind of love and be an imitator of Christ and love people with God's unending love, and then live with others. Be kind to everyone. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. 
Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so that's a challenge for all of us. And the important thing is we do everything that we can do to promote peace and love and show God's love. I'd like to end with this prayer of St. Francis. It's a prayer that a lot of people are familiar with, but a powerful prayer for this day that we're living in. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would touch us and we would live this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. That was the prayer of St. Francis years ago, and it's a prayer that we need to pray today. And here is the challenge that I'm taking up personally, and I would challenge each one that's listening today to say this. Today, I will imitate God in all my attitudes and actions. Before I speak or act, I will ask, what would Jesus do? WWJD. What an awesome way to close out today's show. I hope you listening right now will take dad's advice, Priscilla's words of wisdom, and take them into your day with you. Let it impact how you interact with others on social media, with others at your dinner table, at work, at school. God has given you a ministry. It's right in front of you. What would Jesus do? And then do that. Thanks, dad. If you'd like to receive more inspiring messages like the one my dad just shared, our ministry sends out a free weekly email devotional called Day One Devos. Our ministry is called Pop Wee, P-O-P-W-E. If you visit popwee.org, you can get signed up to receive that free weekly email devotional sent straight to your inbox, a little reminder of the importance of spending time with Jesus every day. To find out more about Priscilla Shire or to find out how you can listen to Leanna Crawford's song, Truth I'm Standing On, or for more information about anything in today's episode, you can read the show notes at matthewwest.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining me, you guys. Have a great day. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.